All I want us to do is talk about what the metaphor is, because this is a movie that clearly tells us in the beginning that this is all a metaphor for something. Ergo, everything must somehow be a metaphor for some portion, some part of coming of age. And we're just going to analyze what these filmmakers were thinking. <laughs> yeah, except they weren't thinking anything. And we know that know, because we watched the documentary. Stupid. Hello and welcome to The Popcorn Isn't Real. I'll be your host today and I'm here with my co-host, Torvald. That's me. I want to pitch to you the logline of a movie and you tell me what it is. A young teenage girl on the cusp of womanhood discovers that she can sell her body around school to make money against the wishes of her overbearing mother. You just described a 1978 porno called Debbie Does Dallas. It's a very famous porno, and <laughs> that's what you're talking about, right? It's basically about this cheerleader girl who wants to go to Dallas uh, to join the Texas Cowgirls, but she doesn't have enough money for it. So she and her friends band together and form basically a prostitute company where they sell themselves to various people around the school uh, for cash. <laughs> well, I, I hadn't ever heard of that, but I would say that to me, that logline sounds like it comes from any number of indie or oftentimes French films that are about a coming of age. Uh, it tends to focus on things like that, it seems, especially in indie and French film spheres. But we're not talking about an indie French film or a 1970s porno. What? We're talking about Disney Pixar's movie Turning Red. So you're saying your theory is that Turning Red is a modern reimagining of the 1978 porno Debbie Does Dallas, but for kids? <laughs> That's your theory? Well, I've never heard of that movie, so I can't really say for sure. Robot Chicken did a skit of Debbie Does Dallas. That's how I know about it. What season was it? Season one. <laughs> you probably haven't yeah, seen I it. haven't gotten to season one. I'm watching them backwards, and it sucks. <laughs> I'm watching them forwards, and it gets better and better. It's amazing. I know. They just keep getting better. The further back you go, the more jokes there are about, like, Bush and, like, yeah, I know. a lot more of the humping robot. <laughs> Which I didn't even know was a thing. I hate Why is that a recurring character? Up. It's a, the worst recurring character ever. The worst part is there's virtually no uh, bitch pudding. <laughs> who is the best thing about the show. <laughs> I can't believe there was a show before Bitch Pudding. <laughs> she's the whole show. So we're talking about 2022's Turning Red, which was written and directed by Dami Shi. I watched the making of Turning Red documentary, and the first 15 seconds is her explaining how she came up with this idea. And she's all like, I just want to see this cute thing on screen and then I'll find the meaning and the metaphor and the themes to justify what that should be. But really, it all just came from a place of like, oh, they're so cute. And wouldn't that be awesome if they were gigantic? <laughs> That's all she was thinking. And red pandas aren't that big. And the next scene is her going to a zoo and being like, oh, they're not really big, are they? <laughs> she had no idea how red pandas even looked. What was she doing? Yeah, which is pretty obvious watching the movie. They clearly thought that a red panda was just a normal panda, but red. <laughs> They're just big pandas. Yeah. She thought they were actual pandas. Red pandas are nothing like pandas. They're, They're much not more big. closely They're not related bears. to raccoons. They're like weasels. <laughs> I gave her every benefit of the doubt I could. I kept being like, okay, like, you know, maybe she had some vision here. Maybe she was imagining something. She she had no idea. She had no metaphor. She had no thought. And then I was like, well, maybe, maybe it's a Chinese myth. Maybe it's something I don't know. It's not. She no, made it's not, up it's her own stupid <laughs> <is> myth. Nothing. <laughs> Why would Pixar 
make up this fake Sun Yi myth when Chinese mythology has so many awesome stories to draw upon. Like, this is culturally insensitive. It's like if someone in China made a movie about coming of age in America and they made it about some kid named, like, Polly Bunyan Seed, who was like a gigantic apple tree planter who had like a faithful blue donkey that he carved out of a cherry tree with an axe or something. Like I'd watch that. It's like a, a hodgepodge <laughs> mishmash of what an American thinks Chinese myth is, right? Like that's what they created here. The poster for this movie is so uninspired. It's a picture of the quote-unquote red panda that they created for this movie, which is not a red panda in any way. <laughs> it is a somewhat panda-like creature that is red, but yes. not any way like a red panda, which no, no, is no. not a panda. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's looking like surprised and scared. And then you've got like Disney's Pixar turning red. And then whoever was making this poster must have realized, oh, crap. There's nothing in this poster that implies even a little that this panda is the little girl who's the main character. Yeah. So they put a name tag on the panda <laughs> that she never <laughs> wears in the movie. It's got this big name tag on a lanyard that says Maylin Lee, student at Lester V. Peterson Middle School. <laughs> she never wears that. She doesn't wear a name tag to school. <laughs> the first time I watched this, I did not know that she was going to turn into that panda. I had I thought no this was a movie she was about a group of girls. Like, I'd seen some of the trailer. I thought it was about a group of young girls who find a Totoro-like yes. creature. And I was under the impression that this was Pixar's My Neighbor Totoro. Like, I thought that was what Which it was. Is what it looks like. Yep. <laughs> the theory today is more, I want to look at the themes in this movie and figure out what the metaphor is in each scene. Because I believe this is a movie that tells us at the very beginning that the panda is always a metaphor for something. And while that metaphor may be extremely mixed, everyone watching this movie is always going to be asking themselves in every scene, what is the metaphor here for the panda? And I think if you ask that question every scene, you eventually start to get very disturbed by this children's movie. Where does the movie tell us that the panda is a metaphor? There are a lot of people who like this movie. When it first came out, my social media feeds on various different platforms were just filled with people praising it and saying how great it is that Disney made a coming-of-age movie specifically about female coming-of-age that deals with things like menstruation, also stuff like mood swings, body odor, body hair, stuff like that, all dealt with through sort of this metaphor. But people were praising it for that because they're like, wow, that's such a taboo subject. I can't believe Disney tackled it. And I actually agree on that level that I like that Disney made this movie yeah. in the sense that it is not something they usually tackle. And I'd I like to see more of that. <laughs> <laughs> I do have many complaints about the movie itself because I feel like at the it's like people watched this movie and they watched the first 15 minutes of it and that was the impression of they, they got, but then they just like turn their brain off for the rest or something at the very beginning of the movie when she first turns into the panda her mother immediately relates it to getting her period and yeah. that's where the movie ham-fistedly tells you this is a metaphor for coming of age uh -huh. it just tells us that right there so from that moment on right at the very beginning of the movie we know that and I would think it's natural to then question everything that happens to the panda and say, how is this a metaphor for coming of age? What does I this getcha. mean? And I'm totally following you from what you've said so far. And just to clarify, your theory then is that the panda is always a metaphor? 
the panda is always a metaphor, but I think that it's confusing as to exactly what that metaphor corresponds to in every scene. It's clear at first, but as the movie goes on and the plot becomes a little more complicated, it becomes unclear, and when you try to come up with a metaphor for it, it becomes weird and disturbing. Um, so. And also, you mentioned when you gave me that uh, elevator pitch for this movie, you said that it's about some preteens selling sex to go to a concert. Is that right? right? A specific preteen discovers as she's coming of age and her body is changing that she can sell her body around school to make money. That is the plot of this movie. <laughs> like, I'm not, that's not a theory. I that's gotcha. the plot. That is the plot. Yes, she's <laughs> selling her body. But anyway, I do want to make that clear at the very beginning that to the people who liked this and liked what it's saying and doing uh, and the risks it's taking that are different from Disney, I agree with those people. I think it's cool oh, to yeah. see a coming of age like no, this. I've, I, I had but no hopes for this We movie. might spend the rest of this episode kind of tearing apart the rest of the flimsy plot. <laughs> I, I had no expectations for this movie when I turned it on. I knew basically nothing about it. I thought it was going to be my neighbor Totoro. But I got to say... When I started watching it, I was like, holy, holy crap. This movie is like actually talking about stuff people don't talk about, like Bruno. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. No. We don't talk about I was talking Bruno. about stuff like periods. <laughs> no, I was like, hey, this has potential. If they're going to actually, you know, show how awkward it can be coming of age as a young girl, that could be an interesting movie. And I'd yeah. like to see what they do with it. No, they didn't do anything with it. Like, it just didn't go anywhere. It was like, oh, panda time. Wow. Big pandas. <laughs> And the reason I wanted to make this clear is just because on my various social media feeds, I did see a lot of people also complaining about other people who didn't like it, who were saying things like, oh, I didn't want to sit down and watch a movie with my two boys that talks about girls having their period. That's just so inappropriate, blah, blah, blah. I just want to make it very clear. I'm not one of those people. However, we're going to look at the middle part of this movie, the main plot, the main thing they're doing in this movie, and just see what we see. The director herself in the making of, she says what it's a metaphor for. <laughs> she says, the red panda is basically a metaphor for magical puberty. <laughs> yes. What's magical no. puberty? Why do we need <laughs> a nothing. metaphor for magical puberty? <laughs> she, she misphrased that. You don't have a metaphor for magical things. You no. have magical things you as a metaphor for real things. things as a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I think she just misspoke. <laughs> She means that it is a magical metaphor for puberty. <laughs> but it sounds like the director is on the same page as us. So that means everything that this red panda does must be some sort of aspect of puberty, coming of age, Selling sexually maturing. <laughs> yeah. Devin, the store cleric, is so ugly. Why are they all so into Devin? <laughs> He's not a hot I know. Well, I mean, that's the joke, Wait. though. Like, what? the joke is... <laughs> There were so many is other that people young... that they walked past. Right, right, right. That but were the, more the joke is just kind of like no. I kind of feel like that. There's a certain realism there that it's like you, when you're young at that age, you're kind of just attracted to people near you, even if they're like later on, you would look back and be like, oh, that person wasn't good looking at all, and that's kind of the joke. Yeah. That, no, no, I, I get that too. At. Don't worry. This was back when I liked <laughs> but, the movie. Um, this part of it, I thought was okay. I just... So, well, yeah. So Maylin is 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 her. First of all, her name is Maylin Lee. 
And I have to point out, this is very similar to Malin Ray from Card Captors. Wow, Card Captors. Whose last name was actually Lee, but they changed it <laughs> for the four kids dub because oh, they didn't uh, want her to be related to nope. Lee Shoron. <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible. Anyway, so her Lee. name is the same as the character from Card Captors. That's cool. So she has a group of friends. Now, I just have to say, while a lot of this is kind of like nostalgic, like, oh, yeah, we were all so silly when we were 13 year olds, you know, kind of thing. I have to say a lot of this I don't identify with because of how freaking extroverted her friends are. Yeah. Like they're just so out there. I'm like, as a 13 year old, I was so self-conscious. I wouldn't be doing any of the things these people are doing. Even Priya, like Priya is quiet in the sense that her volume is low, but she's extremely extroverted. Still, mm -hmm. she does all the singing and dancing and stuff that they do just in like a slightly cool way. <laughs> but she's not shy at all. None of them are even remotely self-conscious. Well, I guess Maylin a little bit when she turns into a panda, but not even that much. <laughs> I mean, I also think that her friends are just like literally the greatest friends anyone's ever had. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Like, I would they're, disagree. They're, they're so supportive pimps. all the time. You're right. They're her pimps later and her mom calls them out on that rightfully. But like, oh, they're incredibly supportive of her nonstop. And they seem to be like completely happy with their role as supporting characters in Mei Mei's yeah, life. Yeah, no, no, they love like, it. And they know I mean, it. she's the like, storyteller here. <laughs> they know that this isn't about them in any way, that this is all Mei Mei all the time, and their only reason to be here is to compliment her and calm her down and reassure her and do everything mm -hmm. for her. <laughs> it kind of felt bad yeah, for her friends. Yeah, Let's talk a little bit about Maylin's mom. So her mom is very odd. Almost like she was a mix of ideas that they just mashed together into something that makes no sense. She wears mm -hmm. a sharp suit that makes her look like she would be a high-powered lawyer or a yes. business person or something but like she that. But runs she a tourist works attraction. <laughs> at a dinky little temple in Chinatown in Toronto. Correct. Like it just doesn't seem like like why is she exudes like success and ambition? <laughs> but like she runs like a tiny little tourist stand essentially, or right. like a church. I'm not even sure what it is. Well, it's it's because like she you know her whole life just like Mimi, she was forced by her mom to do her best all the time and always be the perfect person and it's to show this is what Mimi will grow up into if she doesn't you know rebel that she's gonna put on a facade whether she's actually successful or not is beside the point and they show that later when her mom's digging around under Mimi's bed and finds papers with bad grades and she's like oh <laughs> turns out Mimi doesn't always get good grades she just hides it when she gets bad grades I thought that was really cool. That was actually one of the best parts of the movie. It's like, oh, <laughs> she just makes herself look good all the time. And that's also what you're doing. Okay, so this is supposed to be set in 2002. As you found, some supporting evidence that she doesn't make very much money as someone who works at a temple. She has been wearing the same clothes since 1996. <laughs> she and her husband have been wearing the same clothes for the past eight years. And honestly, I actually liked that they're portrayed as a happy, loving family but they're basically so poor they have to resort to child labor just to make ends meet, right? Like, not that I like child labor, um, but I think it's cool to see a, a very real and common situation in, you know, North America and other parts of the world get some well, representation. Well, I guess that makes sense where, where Malin gets it from then. Like, she's yeah. like, if I want to make money, I have to exploit myself. <laughs> exactly, yes. I haven't seen 
child labor accurately represented in a cartoon since like all dogs go to heaven which this theory also has wow. many things in common with um, <laughs> you know if, if you want to take our all dogs go to heaven theory and yeah. yeah stay tuned for that <laughs> maybe someday one other thing I noticed about Ming and Mei Mei is that Mei Mei seems to really like badminton. She's got like tons of trophies and even one for like duos with her mom. And then they never even say the word badminton in the entire movie. I was like, why did they show all those badminton trophies if she doesn't even ever play badminton or talk about it? If you know what the main, shall we say, ball in badminton is called, then you'll know that this is a way of telling us that she's she's attracted to men. She's a little boy crazy, which we find that out very overtly in a totally different way. It has nothing to do with badminton. So out of her friends, which one do you think is the most forgettable and meaningless? Abby. Yeah, obviously. I, <laughs> wow. I think you could lift Abby right out of the movie and it would be a better movie. Right. I mean, <laughs> she's just supposed to be like people are like, oh, yeah, I had a weird friend who was weird. She's just the weird one. Yeah. Uh, I like Priya. She's cool. You know, she thinks she's a vampire. She sleeps like a vampire. Yeah, she's she was really cool. She was clearly the best friend. <laughs> which was not around in 2002. <laughs> well, and she's just like ridiculously overprotective of Mei Mei. Like anytime anything happens, she's like, I'll sacrifice myself for you, Mei Mei. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, she's intense. She's well, she's, so a, cool. she's into tragic vampire romance. So, you know, that's, that's yeah. all about sacrificing, which did exist in 2002. There mm -hmm. were lots of vampire romances. But if you look at the book she's holding, it's written by like... Dude. You got into a Twitter war about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, and I was actually arguing on the other side, but I mean, they had a point because the last name on the book is Roberta Moyer, which is clearly supposed to be Stephanie Meyer. But yeah, and Twilight, well, Twilight wasn't did not around come back along then. in 2002. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but vampire romances did exist. Buffy was around. There was all these other things. There was Blood and Chocolate, Blood and Chocolate good movie yeah. about werewolf romance. Well, I Dude. mean, and a book, not a movie. It, it turned into a movie later with Hugh Dancy. Anyway, wow. Maymay is in her room. She's doing homework. Now, there's a lot of weird things about this scene. First <laughs> of all, she's got a giant histology volume four textbook on her shelf. It's huge. It's like the size of a dictionary. Histology <laughs> is the study of the microanatomy of cells, tissues, and organs as seen through a microscope. She's a uh -huh. middle schooler. She doesn't need this textbook. <laughs> she wouldn't have this textbook. And it's oh, weird. Man. All of the other books are like middle schooling for middle schoolers. <laughs> the art of <laughs> <Whoa>. middle school. <laughs> she's like little Tiffany in Men in Black. <laughs> Seriously. Walking around in the ghetto with quantum, quantum physics books. books. So she's doing some math problems. At the top of her, her paper, she's written solving the quadratic equation, solving by substitution. There's two equations that she needs to solve, and she needs to solve them doing substitution, okay? Equation number one, 3x minus 8y equals 24. Equation number two, which she needs to solve the first equation, is supposed to be negative 5x plus y equals negative 3. That equation is nowhere to be seen in her homework. She needs that equation because she uses it and has already used it in what she's written down. She substituted 8y. She solved it by substitution. So first she solved the second equation for y. That would be y equals 5x minus 3. And she has that on her paper. 
So somehow she's already solved that equation without ever seeing the original equation. But then she already substituted in for the first one. So she turned 8y into 8 times 5x minus 3, which 5x minus 3 is equal to y. So then she went on, she solved the rest of it. She solved and she found out that x equals 0. But after she solved that, she's erasing something. I don't know what she's erasing, but it's on the next few lines. But there's nothing left to do in this equation, so I don't know what she could have written. Uh -huh. But furthermore, she seems to still be working on that part of the equation, solving for x. And yet, on the other side of the paper, she's already used her deduction that x equals 0 to solve for y <laughs> in the other equation. Which, the way this works is you're supposed to first simplify for y, solve that y equals 5x minus 3, then substitute y for 5x minus 3 to solve for x, find out x equals 0, then substitute x in the first equation <laughs> and find out what y actually equals. Turns out y actually uh -huh. equals negative 3. And she has solved that too. She has it circled, actually squared. She's written a square around it on her piece of paper that x equals 0 and y equals negative 3. And yet somehow seems to still be working on the first equation, <laughs> solving for x. I don't know how uh -huh. she could still be working on that if she's already solved for x and used x to solve for y. Maybe that's what <laughs> she raised. Yeah, but why? It was correct. <laughs> why is she erasing it? <laughs> Maybe math worked differently back in 2002. The one main thing we can say is that why is she still working on this and erasing stuff in the very first part of the problem if she has already completed the final step of the problem and solved every bit of it? Like everything solved. She already used the first part of the problem to solve the last part of the problem. And now she's going back to the first part and erasing stuff. What is she doing? <laughs> Blam! So yeah, then she starts doodling and her doodles come to life. And she's like, oh, getting really into it. She's like, I'm going to give him some abs and I'm going to make him like really sexy. She is doodling a picture that looks like the store clerk that her friends like. Yeah, which she but she didn't like. Not like. Anyway, what's happening here is that she's having a sexual awakening. That's what we're seeing in a Disney film, which is cool. You know, it's an interesting well, kind of. thing I mean, for them to be I, talking I think about. It is interesting. But in a minute, she's about to have a very, very scary nightmare, which I thought was way too much for kids. <laughs> Dude, I love that part. <laughs> it's a it's great like part, part of the but movie. I'm like, whoa, it's like I'm straight really out glad of I didn't. Of Rose or something. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't watch this movie with my kids because that would have actually been really scary for my kids. That was like worse than Willy Wonka's boat trip. It's pretty similar. <laughs> no, so she rolls under the bed to draw sexy pictures of this guy as a mermaid. And as she's doing so, we see sort of a, a red light, almost like a heat sort of glowing brighter and brighter from down under her face. It's like a, a bright, you know, hot pink light. And it's like the color of love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So she, she's in love. And her mother discovers her and is furious. And then the most unbelievable part of this scene recognizes the doodle as the guy. The doodle as some guy she's never interacted with, presumably, beyond like maybe buying groceries from him. I think they buy they buy stuff from that store often because she's like, you just lost a customer. So but like still, I just don't think she like it works because this is animated right and that's the only reason but if we're to imagine this happening in real life apparently these drawings were so hyper detailed and she's such an amazing artist that you look at it and you're like bam that's the store clerk from the quickie mart down the street i could see her having like a hunch and being like may may is this the store clerk but for her like without question 
to just drop everything and drive down to the store and present the doodles to the store clerk is just nuts. Like to everyone, she like passes them out to everyone yes, in the store. You gave everyone a copy. She's like, look how great my daughter is. She's so good at doodling. <laughs> right. So she embarrasses her daughter and her daughter, like her daughter bottles it all up. She doesn't show that she's mad. She's like, whatever, mom. This is when the panda shows up, right? She turns into a red panda right after this. And what has happened is that her mother just repressed her sexuality. So at this point, it kind of feels like the panda might be a metaphor for repressed sexuality or, you know, as they say later, repressed emotion in general, perhaps. Okay, in the scene, her mom catches her with some doodles. This really felt to me like what really happened is her mom, like, Caught her pleasuring herself, (laughs) especially by how the, uh, you know, the aftermath of it is her in her room, like beating herself up and having literally beating herself up. She slaps herself. Right. Looks at the mirror. Says this will never happen. Being ashamed. (laughs) But also wanting to do it again, but then pledging to never do it again. You know, like it really seems like she was. And it's uh, a Disney (laughs) film. So like, you know what? They perhaps were maybe trying to yeah. say, but they had to go a more kiddie route with it. So it's Which like, oh, fine. she's just drawing pictures. No, I mean, it was a honestly, of all the metaphors in this movie, I think this one actually worked, right? Like, I understood it. No, and I and I have to, to, to lay this evidence down early on, even though it actually comes at the end of the movie. In this movie, we do see things through Disney glasses. And perhaps if this wasn't a Disney movie, we'd be seeing things differently because at the very end of the movie, at the big concert, the mom yells to everyone in the audience, put some clothes on! When everyone in that audience, because it's a Disney movie, is very modestly dressed. (laughs) Yeah, no, I noticed that too. No one is wearing revealing clothing. For her to yell to them. Like, even the band members were, like, extremely well-dressed in, like, full-on tuxedos with wings yeah. at the time. Like, no one was Right, wearing they could have at least risque. had the band members have, like, open shirts and abs yep. or something. But no, it's a Disney movie. So we're left to infer that then what we're seeing in this Disney movie isn't necessarily what is actually happening. Dude, by the way, I love that <laughs> a minute ago you self-censored. You caught yourself trying to call it a Disney film. And then you stopped yourself and replaced film with movie, which is just the greatest insult that any writer could ever (laughs) unconsciously give to a movie. Come on. They didn't release it in theaters. They released it direct to video, (laughs) not a film. (laughs) Now, as she's sleeping, the red floodgates are opening. Is this a metaphor for her getting her period? Because Uh, it sure seems like a metaphor for her getting her period. Yes. Okay. Now, that crazy dream is just like straight up horror. Yeah. That flopping mermaid boy tied down to sushi, like as a piece of sushi. Right. No. <laughs> like that's that's what really I say disturbing. when I say that this dream is like rule of rose because like that's like the mermaid they make in that game. Anyway. Yeah, it is. And then the un- unnerving, like smiling flower boy band popping out of lockers that were laying down on the floor that really looked like coffins. <laughs> There's like a split second of an evil red glowing eyed Buddha. Or something. There's a dead bird next to a pair of glasses. There's a burning fan with a screaming face reflected on it. An evil long-tongued donkey that's breathing like radiation breath. (laughs) Like green radiation breath. A dead worm that's been chopped in half. Uh, The crazy evil ghost panda attacks at the end. Like, it is a really disturbing uh, nightmare. Horror, when you're expecting it, is not 
so horror horrific or scary right but yeah, horror yeah. in like actual horror in a kids movie where you didn't expect it is far more horrifying <laughs> even if it's <laughs> technically less horrifying it's more yeah. horrifying just because you didn't expect it and you're like whoa yeah. And because we were talking about horror movies, that's a good time for me to mention my favorite movie in the whole world is Ginger Snaps. Turning Red is essentially a kiddie version of Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps is a movie oh, about but you love Ginger a... Snaps so much and you don't love Turning Red. Well, because I feel like the metaphor in Ginger Snaps is so much clearer and simpler. It's just about like turning into a werewolf is a metaphor for puberty and kind of how uh, while one sister grows up, uh, the other one doesn't. And there's sort of a rift that grows between them because of that. And it's a really wonderful movie. And Turning Red is a kiddie version of it with a much more mixed metaphor that's a lot more confusing. All right. So yeah, the next scene is when she's in the bathroom, her mom's trying to come in. She says she's a red, disgusting monster. And her mom, who knows that she is at some point going to turn into a big red monster, decides, oh, you've got your period. <laughs> right. That was my question, is that every single woman in their family has this red panda issue. Why didn't she jump to that conclusion? <laughs> like, I don't... Yeah, no, there's some huge problems with the plot of this movie. For now, her mom's just a massive idiot for not immediately realizing that now her daughter is a giant red panda, which is what her daughter is telling her. In the next scene, when she's in school and her mom's watching her through the window, she gets so fed up with everything and so upset that she explodes in pink smoke everywhere in <laughs> class and then runs out. Right. If this is a metaphor, what actually happened there? Yeah, it's it's confusing because like this is literally right after the scene where they tell us this is a metaphor for mm -hmm. puberty. And so from that point on, I, it's, I think it's yeah. totally natural for us to wonder what is everything following this a metaphor exactly. for specifically. And, and yet apparently the people <laughs> who watched and liked this movie didn't do that they saw the first ham-fisted in-your-face metaphor were like yeah that's what it is and for the rest of the movie turned their brains off and, and we're, we're just, just like, like ah, magic. <laughs> yeah. but yeah so she explodes in this pink cloud and the red panda is a mixed metaphor that seems to have completely interchangeable rules about why and when and where it shows up well, right now it seems to be back to like representing emotion, just like right. She it's like emotionally. It's mood swings, right? I think we can just say it's that. Like right now, in this point, the part of puberty that it's a metaphor for is mood swings. So she's running home. Her body's big and hairy, and it smells. That's all puberty stuff. She sees the store clerk on the way home. It makes her leg shake and makes her shout, "Hauga!" Why? <laughs> like this is not. Warner Brothers, <laughs> this is not Looney Tunes. Know, Why like, would they do yeah, that? Kinda, kind of that, has whatever, no, that has nothing in common with the rest of the movie. That's not something that Mei Mei would do. So then she learns this, the she learns the legend of Soon Mi, I think is her name. No, sorry, Soon Yi. She learns the legend of Soon Yi, and apparently Soon Yi somehow passed down the ability to turn into a panda to her daughters. Well, and also at the very beginning, May says that they talk about their ancestors at this temple. And she's like, and not just the guys, but the ladies, too, or something like that. But I have to point out, they only talk They're about only ladies, yeah. It's only this one specific ancestor that they worship at this shrine. They don't talk about any of the others. Ostensibly, they should have talked more with each other about this because <laughs> yeah. her parents know this entire myth. Why did they hide it from her? 
Like, why are they such irresponsible idiots? <laughs> why wasn't this the yeah. very no. first thing they thought of when she said, I'm a giant red monster? <laughs> you know, like maybe the only the only reason I could think of for that. She's not really red. She's orange. <laughs> so maybe they were like, she'd say she's orange if she was a you know, red panda. <laughs> right. I think that like there are two explanations for why they didn't talk to her more about this. The in-universe explanation would be that for whatever stupid reason, they just hoped it wouldn't happen to her. <laughs> um, the metaphor uh, explanation would be showing how like dumb parents who are uncomfortable talking about sex just are like, oh, we don't need to it, talk yeah. about that with them until much, yeah, much later. Right. Exactly. And that's the only thing I got out of it when her mom's like, I just didn't think I thought we had more time. And then they put her in an empty room. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> why? She can be in her own room. Like, why? This is so weird and cultish. Like everything yeah, happening here weird. is really she's scratching the walls. Her friends find out about the panda and she convinces her mom she can go to school like she's got it under control. She immediately, without any sort of difficulty, convinces her mom that she can repress her red panda. And suddenly the conflict of the movie is gone and completely replaced with the new conflict of I want to go to a concert. <laughs> If we are seeing this movie at face value, that she is a literal werewolf with darkness inside of her, why does she want to go to this concert? <laughs> does she want to right. kill people? Well, that's proof that we're supposed to be enjoying it metaphorically, right? Very literally. much so, yes. Everything about this movie. <laughs> so, like, in the next scene, uh, it's, it's weird. So they go into the bathroom. Abby asks for a little hit of panda oh, so to weird, help dude. clear it's her so mind strange. so she can think. And at this point, the mixed metaphor seems to be that they're relating this panda to drugs, drugs, which yes. again does relate to a lot of teenagers coming of age stories. <laughs> maybe she becomes a drug dealer. Like maybe that's the metaphor. Where is she getting drugs, right? Like if, if her body just suddenly matured and she realizes she can use it to make money, that kind of makes sense. Even if I don't really want to watch that movie. If her body started producing <laughs> drugs, it doesn't make sense. Uh, this is also right after she said going to the concert is their first step into womanhood. And in order to turn into the panda to give her friend Abby a hit, she has to imagine a sexy mermaid again. And this is when they realize, yeah, like they can sell the panda to make money. So you're saying it's not drugs. Her friend wanted, she's like, hey, could you make out with me a bit? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, her friends I mean, are pretty really much into her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they just yeah, hugged a lot. And that's about all they could show in a Disney movie. So Maybe it's completely innocent. Maybe her friend is like, I'm stressed. I need a hug. <laughs> then why did they show it using the metaphor? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the yeah. metaphor for... <laughs> I mean, it's not a metaphor. No, it is a metaphor because even the director said that it's all a metaphor for magical puberty. <laughs> all of a sudden, everyone at school wants the panda. Oh, they all want the panda. And the movie depicts this as them wanting to like take pictures with the panda and buy her merchandise. I have to point out, May already dresses up as a panda at her shrine and mm -hmm. sells merchandise. They could already get that if that's what they want. Like, uh -huh. if they, if we take it at face value, they would just think she's wearing like some kind of costume. No, one, and even if she's not, no one wants to take a picture with a big monster panda. <laughs> like, well, okay. she's not that cute. It's a terrible so, character design. <laughs> I agree. I think the panda is ugly. It's not a cute panda, even though they think it is. Why does everyone know that this ugly giant creature is a red panda? Because <laughs> it's clearly not. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Like everyone refers to it as a red panda. It's not a red panda. No one who saw that would ever say, oh, look, a red panda. So then I was like, would a kid pay to take a picture with some giant fluffy thing in a suit? And then I thought, hey, we just went to Disneyland and there were lots of people paying money to get in. And, you know, one of the things you do at Disneyland is take pictures with like Chewbacca. So I was like, okay, maybe maybe kids would pay for that. I don't. Let's but say like, we kept that's it really, parents, really. Let, let's let's just let's let's just say let's keep it really, really cheap. Something kids could afford, and say it's like three bucks per kid. If a hundred kids paid, that's three hundred dollars, and that's how much they made. But I think that's still a little much. I think three bucks is very steep for a kid in two thousand two, and I think that a hundred kids in the school being willing to pay this for a stupid picture is. Uh, believable yeah and also it's like it's parents who go to disneyland and they force their kids to take pictures with mickey mouse like my kids they love mickey they would never have been like let's go take a picture with mickey if we hadn't said go take a picture with mickey yeah you know like as a 13 year old i wouldn't have been like i want to take a no. picture with a big red panda no, <laughs> yeah, no. i just and wouldn't have even thought problem. of it They're all teenagers <laughs> so i don't think they'd want a picture with any sort of mascot especially a mascot of nothing <laughs> this is 2002 so they do have flip phones but then it wasn't like selfies weren't like a thing like nowadays you take a picture of yourself all the time with everything you do but back then it wasn't it's strange that the writers thought like in universe that this is a good way to earn money and the only way that I can understand it is if they were thinking of it as the metaphor right. for her selling her body. Yeah, there are a few things in this movie here and there that don't quite fit the metaphor. Like, oh, she exploded in a puff of pink smoke. I don't know what that means. But this, this is the second act, the main plot of the film. If you're not writers, maybe you don't know. The second act is the bulk of the film, and it always has a plan to achieve a goal. And that plan is the plot of the film. <laughs> and this is the plan for their movie is to sell the panda around school. So this isn't some little thing that you can just be like, oh, that doesn't fit into the metaphor. No, this has to fit into the metaphor. It's the plot of the film. Yeah. So our next clue is that her friends are apparently making a plan to pimp her around the school to make money. They spread the word and one of the girls texts, OMG, panda pics from 202. Yeah. <laughs> I just oh. feel like there's something about that when we know what this panda has been equated to. Whatever you think it is, panda equals magical puberty. So, right. oh my gosh, puberty pics. <laughs> um, what does that yeah. mean? <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, and this is the point when I was watching the movie, I liked it up to this point. At this point, I started to be like, what am I watching? Like, yeah, I, wasn't, like what? I wasn't even in theory mode. I wasn't trying to ruin the movie. I was just trying to do what the movie was telling me to do. It told me this is a metaphor at the beginning. I'm just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, and then this whole thing culminates in, like, her getting blackmailed by a potential client when Tyler's all, you've been showing <laughs> right. everyone your panda. I'm going to tell your mom you're showing off your panda if yeah, you don't yeah, service yeah. me at my party. <laughs> and I'm right. like, whoa, yeah, yeah. this is a very, well, very strange scene. And, be, right. and then and she's but, like, yeah. okay, no, that's an important $200 scene. for one hour. And I'm like, that is how prostitutes talk in movies. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> She's worried about making enough money. I knew we should have charged more for the photos. So this is the scene you were saying. This is an important scene. They're sitting around watching these boys who are their age playing basketball. 
is this really normal 13-year-old girl behavior? Like, these boys are their same age. It kind of maybe makes sense if they were slightly older boys, but I kind of feel like at 13, you're still sort of disgusted by the gross boys that are your age. All right, and the boys in your class are all the boys that you grew up with, and you probably still see them as, like, the stupid, snotty, you know, bullies and jerks. I think, like, if they had a crush on one, they might talk to it about each other, but they're being so extroverted. They're, like, yelling out, whoa! No, I don't remember what they say, weird. but like they're, they're catcalling the boys, yes. which I don't think any 13-year-old has the confidence to do that. They're all just so awkward, unless it's making a comment about the journey they've been going on in that montage we just saw. So yeah, Tyler wants attention. He says, I wonder if your mom knows her precious little May May has been flaunting the panda all over school. <laughs> right. Now I have a question about this. Why would Tyler think that her mom would care at all? Yeah. <laughs> There's he no doesn't reason know anything that about Tyler this. <laughs> would think that her mom cares that she's showing off her ability to become a werewolf. It would make yeah. a lot more sense for him to say, what do you think the Toronto Police Department will do when they find out there's a werewolf at school, right? Right. Like right, that no. would make a lot more sense than threatening about... I'll tell the mom her precious little daughter, right? Like right. this implies that she's doing something vulgar that mm-hmm. mom would be ashamed of. On the surface, there is no reason that Tyler should know that her mom would care. Like he, Tyler doesn't know her mom. He doesn't know anything about this issue except that she becomes a big monster. No matter how you look at it, this has to be a metaphorical moment. This makes no sense plot-wise, but metaphorically, it kind of makes a lot of sense. She's been selling her body around school. Mom would want to know about that. In this case, once again, panda is a metaphor for sexuality that should be repressed, right? Just like the first time her mom heard about it, she was like, oh, you have panda. Panda is something that we all get, but we want to get rid of it. I didn't think this would be a problem so soon for my beautiful little pure daughter. The scene makes perfect sense if you think of it like that. The scene makes no sense if you think of it as the actual ability to turn into a giant red panda. (laughs) It makes no sense. It makes no sense. (laughs) And the language he uses implies what we're supposed to be thinking. He says, precious little may may. Implying that she's like so sweet and innocent. What does this have to do with her being precious little Maymay if she's turning into a precious big panda? Like he's saying it as though the two things are like opposites. Like, oh, you're doing something so bad. But right. Into a panda but one of the things they keep bad. saying about this panda is it's so cute. I want to <laughs> hug it and love it. So it is precious, apparently. <laughs> right. Exactly. So like this doesn't make sense unless it's a mer- metaphorical moment that's telling us what's really going on. Well, yeah, and then the weirdest thing is apparently he wants her to service everyone at his party for $200 for an hour, and it's really And they unhaul her friend's (laughs) gasp and act like he said something really terrible. Like, up until this point, maybe I was just jumping to my own conclusions, but once you get to Tyler here, it's pretty much a confirmed theory. This whole scene, to me, felt like Pretty Woman, where she has, you know, pretty much this conversation with uh, Mothman. Mothman. Richard Gere, is that the guy? Yeah, that's him. So yeah, she's basically having a conversation with Richard Gere about how much she should get and you know how much he's going to pay her and how much time she's going to invest. Yeah. She comes to Tyler's party and says, you want the panda? You're getting the panda. Later on, Maymay is taking a break on the roof eating cake. Uh, they talk about the concert. She sa- they, they say, tomorrow we are walking into that concert, girls and coming out women. 
if at the end of Mulan, it ended with Mulan and Shane getting married, they go into a house and it pans out and we hear Mulan singing, I'll make a man out of you, there would be some pretty sexual connotation there, right? Yeah, okay. That would be pretty weird. Um, okay. I, I would love yeah, that. I guess you, you do have to put it in context and that would be pretty odd. That would be a great <laughs> ending, I have to say. The more I think about I, it, the better it is. <laughs> Would you think it's that odd if you've got like, I don't know, uh, a young boy coming of age story like uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Tom is hanging out with Huck and they're about to get the treasure and Tom says, we're going to go into that cave as boys, but when we come out with we're going to come out with that treasure as men, you know, Mm -hmm. like that wouldn't imply anything sexual and would be completely normal. Well, if, if this Tom Tom and Huck movie started with Tom doodling pictures of of a sexy lady and his aunt May or whatever his aunt's name is is like, "Hey, you're in trouble for that." And then all of a sudden, he just starts turning into this massive creature whenever he gets aroused. It is actually a pretty good metaphor for, yeah. for male sexuality. He can turn into too. like a giant uh, rooster, right? It's essentially like... fully coolie. <laughs> Dude, Fooly Cooly. That, that's that's a good uh, comparison, actually. This is kind of like Disney's Fooly Cooly. Yeah. I hate to say that because Fooly Cooly is actually really good and this is not. <laughs> right. Well. And then Tyler calls out to her, hey, Panda Girl, what are you doing? We want more rides. Does she give um. people rides? <laughs> I yes. didn't notice her giving she people rides. She occasionally, I think, carries them around because she's so big. Tyler says, you want your money? Then get your butt down here. So she jumps on top of Tyler like she's really going at him. And her friends are saying, May May, stop, you're hurting him. And that's when her mother shows up and she gets really mad about it. And the next scene, Tyler's parents are yelling at May May's mom. They say, I cannot believe you would let your daughter do this. Like they just discovered Tyler's sex party. And rather than blaming it on their own perfect son, they're, of course, blaming it on the woman. You know, they live in a patriarchal society. Their sweet little boy can never be responsible for that. Some of the things that Tyler's parents say are like, I cannot believe you would let your daughter do this. Do you understand what she did to my boy? This is a civilized society and we have. And then she kind of trails off. The whole conversation there I thought was really weird because it doesn't sound like they're directly referring to her beating him up. (laughs) It sounds like they're referring to her doing something immoral. Right. Yes. That's what it sounds like. It doesn't sound like. Like It it seems like normally they would say, look what she did. He's going to need stitches or look at the bump on his head. You know, like, how could you raise her to attack people like that? Right. Yeah, they never said anything about hurting him. It was all just like, we expected a party where people would have good fun. (laughs) Nothing about like (laughs) she hurt him more just like she was inappropriate. So her mother is talking to her friends, rightfully blaming them. She says, I knew you were trouble, putting all these thoughts into Maymay's head, parading her around. And her friends are like, no, she wanted to. And her mother interrupts and says, don't you blame her. She is a good girl and you've taken advantage of her. So yeah, she goes home and her dad, he tells the story of her mom's panda. And it's interesting because knowing what we now know about what the panda represents, it seems like he's telling us that, so he says that, well, yeah, (laughs) basically he says that her mom, the only time he's seen her panda was when she got revenge on her mom, on the grandma because she wouldn't let her marry the dad. He's saying that your mom used sex as revenge against your grandma to force us to get married. 
And what would that mean? <laughs> Got her pregnant, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the only that, that, thing I can take from it as a metaphor. <laughs> no, it made sense. Like, because at first I was like, this doesn't make sense. And I thought about it and I was like, nope, it makes sense. Him and Ming forced themselves to get married by having a baby together. They used her panda. I mean, what her dad says about it, he's like, when she was a panda, oh, she was scary, but amazing. You should have seen your mom. She was incredible. <laughs> like, the only way that I could interpret his character in this movie is he is an advocate for sexuality. He liked when the mom was a sexual person and is kind of sad that she's not anymore. So Mei Mei decides to keep it and goes to Four Town. Going along with the theme, when the Four Town band comes out, they're all trapped in stripper cages. <laughs> And then they break out, obviously relating to sort of like May breaking out from her mother's repression. Dude, Four Town puts on an amazing show. Like yeah, they, they turn into wings. angels and fly around. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I would go to a show like that. That was really cool. This is the point where Christine noped out of the movie. Uh, She's like, I don't like dude. this movie. Is when May well, her says, beating her mom by shaking her butt at her was yeah. the dumbest thing I've <laughs> it's ever the dumbest seen. Climax ever. She's like, I'm not your little May May anymore. It was my idea to hustle the panda. I like boys. I like music. I like gyrating. <laughs> and mom's mm -hmm. saying, How could you be so crass? And then mm -hmm. she starts twerking at her mom. <laughs> And her friends say, destroy her with your big butt. It's like the dumbest. It's it's horrible. But once again, they're equating Panda with sex, right? Like yes. She specifically says, I like boys. I like gyrating. I'm twerking at your face. <laughs> well, twerking wasn't a thing in 2002. Well, yeah, but it was <laughs> for the panda. <laughs> yes, it was. As she's doing it, she keeps repeating, take it, mom, take it. <laughs> yes, so... Such a horrible scene. But hey, I, I do have to say, Four Town rising from the ashes of their, you know, destroyed arena yeah, and the saving the day here. was like really cool. Like I I can support that. You gotta love Four Town. <laughs> They're a great They're band. Stand up like guys. <laughs> At the end, they solve the problem. Uh now Mei Mei's mom is hustling the panda to get more business at their temple. But then it's okay if she's a panda at the temple. But she tries to go out as a panda, and her mom's like, no, no, no. Right, you right. only do that for me. Well, it's a brothel. <laughs> exactly. But then the last line of the movie is, my panda, my choice, mom. Right, Which, right. once again, is really equating it to something sexual. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it is. So she puts on her tail and ears, and her mom says, you're not going out like that, are you? And then the final <laughs> line, my panda, my choice, which is a phrase usually used for my body, my choice. She says, everyone has that messy part of themselves. Have you let yours out yet? I agree with the message of being your own person, but I don't necessarily think you should encourage kids to rebel just because. Certainly not the <laughs> way know? this film depicts it with selling your body around school. The most friendly explanation I can give for this movie is it was bad writing. They had an idea for a cute red panda movie and they didn't know what the metaphor was, and so they just made the movie and then tried to inject metaphor here and there, and ended up with a movie that is weird and doesn't exactly make, metaphorically make a lot of sense. Or, the other interpretation is that they knew, and they were that doing this on yes. purpose, <laughs> and that's the message of the movie. Do you think this is a good Pixar movie? Uh, no. <laughs> no? 
I think it's and barely again, a Pixar movie. I don't like. have a problem with them being edgy and strange. I just think the movie is a metaphorical mess. It's just a mess, and they should have picked a more of a clear story that they were trying to, to tell. No, do I believe that this movie was a metaphor for not only coming of age, but also of uh, sexuality and selling your body? I don't see what else they were going for. Like, I'll, I'll put it this way. If the red panda stuff in this movie was a metaphor, then that is what it was a metaphor of. <laughs> There's no other interpretation. Or it is not a metaphor at all and there's no metaphor in it and it's just magic yeah, <laughs> and just it doesn't mean panda. anything <laughs> yep <laughs> but i refuse to believe that because the director specifically said it's a metaphor for magical puberty so um yeah i think your theory is confirmed as far as i'm concerned yeah cool well music for this episode was provided by christine follow us on twitter at popcorn isn't real if you have a theory that you'd like us to cover please tweet at us uh we would love to discuss it with you and maybe even cover it one day and until next time, remember, the, the popcorn, popcorn isn't, isn't real. real.